You know, for most of August, we took a break from our study of Ephesians in order to preach on the, the party. And then last week, Andrew preached a great sermon on community and small groups. When we preached on the party, remember I preached from Luke chapter 16 and Luke chapter 15. In Luke 16, we talked about the unrighteous steward and the eternal habitations. Remember that? And then in Luke chapter 15, we talked about the story of the prodigal son, which is really the story of the prodigal father who loved his prodigal sons with all his usion and bios, all of his substance and all of his life. And now today we're back in Ephesians and Paul's talking about fathers and sons and children and mothers and families. Ephesians chapter four or chapter six, verse one. He writes, children obey, hearken to, listen to your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It can also be translated righteous or just. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, Paul's quoting from the Ten Commandments, and that's the Fifth Commandment. God told the Israelites that if they honored their fathers and mothers, he would bless them uh, in, in the promised land. They would live long in, in the promised land. Honor your father and your mother. This is the First Commandment with a promise that it may go well, go good with you, and that you may live long in the land, literally on the earth, that you may live long on the earth. This is kind of a weird thing for Paul to say, right? Because Paul is the guy that wrote to die is, is gain. And my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And our citizenship is in heaven. So that's kind of weird. And if you do honor your parents for the sake of health and real estate on the earth, aren't you just doing exactly what those evil prodigal boys were doing in the story of the prodigal son? Just using your parents to get their stuff. And, and what about evil dads? What about evil fathers? I mean, should we honor fathers like, like this? There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Join me, and I will complete your training. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No, this whole sermon is basically an excuse to wear this t-shirt. Who's, who's your daddy? But seriously, I mean, what if Darth Vader was your daddy? What if Darth Vader was your father? Would you have to honor him? Well, Paul addresses children, saying honor your father and mother. And now he addresses fathers, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, literally to wrath. In Romans 4, 15, Paul wrote this. The law worketh wrath. The law worketh anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So question number one. What is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And question number two, does it work? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, the first thing that pops into my mind when I think of the discipline and instruction of the Lord is, is a bunch of books. And so I brought these books uh, from my library, books on family and parenting and family counseling, books like this, uh, The Way They Should Go, Correcting Children Correctly, um, How to Develop Your Child's Temperament, How to Raise Your Children for Christ. They think about books and about Christian education curriculum and family values and principles and techniques and lists and, and laws. And, and there's real value in in all of that, but when I think of the discipline and instruction of the Lord as like a to-do list, I, I kind of start to get angry. So does it work? 
Well, it works anger. Does it work? You know, when I was a youth pastor, I discovered that many of the kids in Christian school were not always more Christian than the kids in public school. Kind of as if you can come to know math with a math curriculum, but you can't really come to know Jesus with a Jesus curriculum. As if you, you, you can't get an A in loving your neighbors by competing with your neighbors for the A. So does it work? No, that, that doesn't work. And I grew up in church. So I've known a lot of pastor's kids. There's some in here. I've known a lot of Christian authors' kids. I've known a lot of the experts' kids. And, and does their expertise work? No. Not, not really. And then I thought about my own kids. I've got great kids. But, but does all this knowledge of good and evil work? Well, you know, they've really struggled with, with church at times. And, and they've, they've got some anger and I often feel like a, a failure as a, as a parent. You know, there's this verse in 1 Timothy 3 that talks about qualifications for church leaders that, that, quote, they must manage their households well, having their children in subjection or submission. I, I, I've read that and wondered, should I quit? And then I've wondered, should God quit? Because you're his children. You're laughing, and you're not entirely in submission. I, I know that. Should, should God quit? And remember, we're, we're reading Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 6, Paul wrote this, that God is father of all. Well, that includes guys like Hitler. Saul of Tarsus, chief of, of sinners. So does it work? In the Old Testament, you know, God gave a list called the law, and no, it didn't work. Well, it did work, wrath. In fact, when the Father came in Jesus the Christ, the children crucified the Father. I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like they were not in subjection to the Father, but in fact, the Father had put himself in subjection to them. So if they were being subjected, it was a strange, different kind of subjection. So question number one, what is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And question number two, does it work? Well, I was thinking about all this last Tuesday in my office at my house, thinking about books and lists and laws and my kids and my failures and having to preach another a sermon, having to preach a sermon on this topic. And, and I was just kind of getting angry. And as I was doing this, no lie, this thunderstorm built over my house. I mean, like just over my house and lightning started crashing all around. And I felt this like tingling in, in my fingers. And I remember I thought, well, Okay, go ahead, just smite me. Smite me, God, because I don't know what to say. I, I don't know, just smite me. This is hard, and just about then, this spark, no kidding, jumped from my finger to the computer. And there was this like brilliant flash and this huge crash and then silence. I looked around, I was still there, and so I thought, whatever. <laughs> whatever. A few minutes later, I hear Susan yell, Peter, Peter, come here. And from our back deck, looking down from our back deck, we saw this. I don't know if you can see that very well, but that's the house behind us and below us, okay, below, on fire. I'm looking at the, the house on fire, just taking this little video with my cell phone. I look up to the right and there's this rainbow. All across, all across the sky. And you know, the rainbow is the sign of the covenant. I, I, I remember I took the video because of that, how bizarre. That was literally like fire from heaven and a perfect rainbow above. And the rainbow is the sign of the covenant of, of grace. Well, I went to bed asking, well, what the heck is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Remember, I, I woke up about 3 a.m. morning just thinking, hey, hey hey, it's not a list, it's not a law. 
Reality is the discipline of the Lord, and his word is instruction. And there's like a covenant rainbow of grace over the, the whole thing. Ephesians 1.4, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1.11, he accomplishes all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, reality is always in subjection to the Lord. Even our unreality is subject to his reality. Ephesians 4.6, he is the father of all. Ephesians 5.1, we are to imitate him as beloved children. So what's the problem? It must be that we don't trust that we are beloved children. And maybe that's because we don't think that we are children in need of growing up, but adults that have already grown up. And you know, Jesus said you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom. And so maybe God disciplines. Well, anyway, the reality in which you exist is his discipline. And into that reality, he speaks instruction. He speaks his word. So your whole life is like a classroom. And his word is instruction within that classroom. And his word became flesh. And his name is Jesus. So parents... To ask what is the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to ask how does the Lord discipline and instruct me? And to ask does it work is not to ask has it worked, but, but uh, will it work? For it must still be working because we're children. So what is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? You see, when I think about it that way, I'm kind of surprised by the answer. Number one, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord is profoundly tolerant. I, I mean, if we are his children, he puts up with some pretty bad behavior. I mean, why does he uh, allow us to sin? I mean, surely you've thought about that, right? Why does he allow us to, to sin? I don't think he has to. Why does, he, why does he do that? You know, his tolerance is what we all complain about the most. You ever thought about that? Lord, why do you allow evil in this world? Which is to ask, Lord, why do you allow me? Why do you allow us in, in your world? You see, I'm really not amazed anymore, having lived a while, that God smote a bunch of ancient Egyptians, or even that God smote Ananias and Sapphira. I'm amazed that God hasn't smoted us. According to Paul, God is in complete control, however. He's in complete control, and yet he does not seem very controlling. He's tolerant. And that's really unsafe because he doesn't protect us from ourselves. I mean, what sort of father lets his son take his livelihood and squander it in a far country? What sort of father puts his naked children in a garden with an evil talking snake and a tree that produces death before they know what's good and what's evil? And according to Deuteronomy, we are each born into that situation. So God lets Adam and Eve eat and then run away and hide. What sort of father lets his children run away? You know, every time we sin, we, we run away from the way, the truth, the life, we, we run away. I remember one crazy day when Elizabeth was about three, she decided that she knew the good and I did not know the good. And so at one point, I remember she just yelled at me. She just said, I don't need a daddy. I don't want a daddy. I don't want a daddy. I don't want a mommy. I don't want a daddy. I don't want a daddy. And I said, okay, okay. I let her run away, at least a bit. I mean, I didn't talk to her like usual. I didn't look at her, didn't pay attention to her. After a bit, I think she felt forsaken. But of course, I hadn't forsaken her. After a bit, she, she felt unloved, but of course, I hadn't stopped loving her. 
I had just stopped expressing my love to her. But, but that night, I did let her come to the store with me. And I remember we got in the car, was totally silent. We just sat there for a minute in silence, and then I looked at her. <laughs> and she just like totally fell apart. I mean, she, she literally threw herself on me, sobbing and crying out, I want my daddy, I want my mommy, I want a daddy, I want a daddy, I want a, I want a daddy. Now, this is something to ponder. She had to not want a daddy in order to want her daddy. Well, anyway, that wasn't the last time Elizabeth ran away. Anytime we sin, we run away, and God tolerates our sin. If Paul is right, he even consigns us to it. God tolerates, even expects, even arranges for our failure. And so it seems to me that you're failing your children if you don't allow them to fail. God's discipline is tolerant and yet truthful. You see, tolerance of sinners is not a lie about sin. Tolerance of sinners is not a lie about sin. God speaks truth to his children in their disobedience. He says, no liar will inherit the kingdom. No liar will inherit the kingdom of truth. No greedy person will be at home in my house of love. God, God tolerates sin for a time, but not for eternity. Which means we're all going to be changed. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We're all, we're all going to be changed because, you see, we're all greedy. We're all a party to, to a lie. Every night, Elizabeth used to pray this when she was around three, two or three. She would pray, dear God, thank you that I know everything in the world. Amen. I remember thinking to myself, oh, man. The truth is gonna burn. I mean, it might have even been that day that she decided she, she didn't want a daddy, but, but, but I remember on this particular occasion, I mean, it might have been, this might have been later in the day, I can't remember how it all fits together, but um, on this one occasion, bearing this weight that, okay, she needs to deal with the truth, she, she, she said to me in some context, I can't remember what we were talking about, but she said, Daddy, killer whales live in lakes, don't they? I swallowed hard and I said, no. She said, yes, they do. I said, no, killer whales do not live in lakes, no. And she said, I'm right. And with my silence, I said, no, you're awesome, Elizabeth, but you're wrong. Killer whales do not live in lakes. And then she said this, well, I'm calling Poppy. Poppy was my dad. She said, I'm calling Poppy because Poppy has been a pastor longer than you. So she did, as I silently prayed, Lord God, please let dad resist her insane cuteness and just tell her the truth. And, and thank God he did, but then all hell broke loose. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Elizabeth did not want a daddy or a granddaddy, and yet she did. You see, to, to hang on to a lie is to choose to be alone, imprisoned in darkness. And so God speaks truth into our darkness. He speaks truth into our lies, and the truth cuts us. Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And he, he looks at Peter and he calls him a rock. But only a few moments later, he turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. I see the good in you. And I see the darkness. So God speaks truth into our darkness. And it cuts the good from the evil. God speaks truth into our lies. And it burns the evil, exposing the good. God spoke the law, but more than the law about the truth, God spoke himself because he is the truth. And Jesus is truth incarnate. And even though we run away, he comes with us. He won't leave us or forsake us. He has descended into the darkness with us. His name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. He is with us in Jesus, God incarnate. 
When we used to discipline Coleman, my youngest, we used to send him to the green couch. And often I would find myself on the green couch with Coleman, just sitting in silence. Like Elizabeth and I sat in the car until she broke down sobbing, I want a daddy. So God's discipline is tolerant, but truthful, and his instruction is truth incarnate. So we're failing our kids if we don't let them fail, if we protect them from the truth, if we don't enter their world, and we're failing them if we treat one, each one, exactly the same as the others. God's discipline is individual and unique. You know, I really think that I love each one of my four children the same amount. And yet I do not treat any two exactly the same. With my oldest, John, when he, he was little, I don't think I even remember ever spanking him. I could just look at him and that was enough. With Coleman, my youngest, I seriously used to wonder if he had any nerve endings in, in his behind. Because, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd spank him and he'd just look up at me like, are you finished, Daddy? Can we go play now? And he had this dirt-eating problem, and like an addiction. I said, Coleman, have you been eating dirt again? And, and he'd look at me with like dirt caked around his lips with those big, beautiful eyes and say, no, Daddy, I haven't been eating dirt. You know, I think one day we'll see that all sin is like eating dirt. What's the appropriate punishment for eating dirt? Uh, if you don't stop eating dirt, I'm, I'm going to make you eat dirt. I mean, isn't eating dirt like its own punishment? One day, we'll see. That's what all sin is like. You know, if I would have made Becky, my third, eat dirt or would have spanked her like I spanked Coleman, it would have been abuse. With Elizabeth, my second, there were times when she was so out of control and nothing was working, nothing was working, that finally, I think this happened on like three or four occasions, I had to take her to a room, lie her down on her bed and just lie on top of her till she passed out. The whole time, I'm totally stressed out. That night, I can't sleep, thinking to myself, she's gonna hate, she's gonna be going to all counselors, trying to get therapy, she's gonna, she's gonna hate me. And, and then in the morning, Elizabeth would jump out of bed, smiling, look at me, and say, hi, Daddy, as if I was your favorite person in, in all the world. Have you ever wondered why God wrote one story with Jacob and a very different story with Esau? Why he treated Saul in one fashion and David in a very different fashion. Why he said one thing to Peter, another to Matthew, and, and another to Judas. I mean, maybe one of them needed to spend some time in outer darkness weeping and gnashing his teeth, perhaps even for an age in, in order to come home. Maybe another needed to squander his father's property in a far country. Maybe another needed to deny Jesus three times, suffer his glance, and then weep bitterly in order to be at home with the Father. Maybe God disciplines each one of us uniquely, and yet he loves each one of us exactly the same amount. And how much is that? Well, it's with all of his substance and all of his life, all of his usion and bios, all that he is. In other words, he gives all of himself to each of his children. In other words, Jesus died for all and for each. So each child has a unique story of his or her father's love in, in their life, and maybe that story creates each one and defines each one. To us, all of that looks really messy, but it's the manifold grace that brings color to the eternal habitations that is the kingdom of God. You know, the law is predictable. It makes everyone just the same. But love makes each person unique. However, it's messy. Years ago, while Elizabeth was still in grade school, she ran, a door, uh, ran away with a next door neighbor, her, her friend. The police uh, picked them up on 285 past 
Morrison and brought them home. And the whole thing to me seemed well, rather humorous and touching after we worked through it. And so I used the story in a sermon on Easter and Elizabeth was there. And she got furious. For the next few years, she ran away in, in spirit. A couple years ago, I asked her permission to talk about that time and she said that I could. I don't think I've ever felt so helpless as I did during that time. I don't think life ever felt so messy as it did then. At one point, because of something that she said to, to a counselor, she had to spend some days, some time away from us in a, in a facility. One day, Susan was so troubled, just crying out. She cried out to God. She cried out to Jesus. She said, Jesus, what are you doing? And she heard an answer. You know what she heard him say? I'm saving her. Salvation is messy. The Lord's discipline is messy and we're failing our children if we refuse to get messy. And the Lord's discipline is sacrificial. We're failing our children if we refuse to feel their pain. When Elizabeth was away, I, I, I felt like I was away. It was like I, I kind of didn't even have a choice. When I would spank Coleman, even if he didn't feel it, I felt it. When I discipline my kids, I feel disciplined. You know, you know, and parents say that, but Jesus said this. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. Think about that. Maybe it also means whatever I do to the least of these, I do it to me. Karl Barth points out that the phrase of the Lord in verse four is in the genitive case and can be a subjective genitive or an objective genitive. So discipline of the Lord can mean the discipline with which the Lord disciplines or the discipline with which the Lord is disciplined. And, and you see, it must mean both, because Isaiah said it 500 years before we saw it. He said, the Lord has laid on him. Who's him? The Lord. The Lord has laid on the Lord the iniquity of us all. Upon him was the chastisement, the discipline that brought us peace. Paul writes this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You see, when the, father, when the children see that the father bears their discipline, their, their hearts are healed and they come home. The crucifixion of Christ is not what the father needed to love us. It's what we needed to love the father. You know, when my father used to discipline me, I, I could see it in his eyes. It, it hurt him more than it hurt me. And when I would see it, my heart would just come running home. The discipline of the Lord is sacrificial and passionate. And he didn't just sacrifice for one, but for all. The sacrificial atonement for all the world, all. One day when Elizabeth was two, I remember I took her to the park and she learned to slide down the slide. So she would climb up to the top of the slide and she would stand there and she'd say, see me, see me, daddy, watch me, see me, see, I do it, I do it, see me, I do it, see me, I do it. Then she'd slide down the slide and I'd go, Elizabeth, that was awesome, you are awesome, you are amazing. And, and I really meant it. After a time, I sat down on this log nearby and just watched her, mesmerized by the wonder of her sheer existence. And then this woman came along with her two-year-old daughter. And her two-year-old daughter started going up and down the slide. And her two-year-old daughter would stand on the top and say, see, I do it, see, I do it, see, I do it, I can do it, see me do it. And, and her mom would stand at the bottom and say, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're incredible. But when my daughter slid down the slide, she said nothing. After a while, no kidding, Elizabeth was standing at the top of the slide saying, at the, yelling at the lady, see me, I do it, I do it, see me, see me, see me, I do it, I'm gonna do it, see me, see me. And she wouldn't even look. Maybe you feel kind of like that. You say that in so many ways to the world. See me, see me, I matter, I do it, see me. And, and no one looks, no one sees, but the father sees. And I saw. 
And I felt, I, I felt her sorrow and I felt something else. I felt wrath, <laughs> anger on behalf of my daughter and toward this woman. I mean, no kidding. I, I remember fantasizing to myself about picking up this two by four, walking up to the woman, just smacking her into the head and saying, look at my daughter. She is the best slide slider in the entire universe. I was just about to get up. When I like heard this, like, I mean, not audibly the way my wife does, but like a thought or a voice or an idea in my head. And, 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 and the instruction was this. The, the voice said, hey, Peter, what if that woman is my daughter and you don't see her? Hey, Peter, what if I feel toward her, I feel about her the way you feel about Elizabeth? Hey, Peter, what if... Um, uh, what if every child in that Tijuana dump, when you go down and do the mission projects, living in those cardboard shacks that cries out, see me, see me, see me, feed me, feed me, feed me, the, the ones that you don't see, the, what if each one of them is my child? Peter, what if I'm father of all? You know, you ought to drop to your knees and just thank me, praise me that I have taken your stripes, I have borne your chastisement, that I have turned my white-hot wrath upon myself. For you see, Peter, you are also my child, and you're awesome. I love you. You understand the problem? What do I do when Elizabeth doesn't see Jonathan? When Jonathan doesn't see Elizabeth? What do I do with my anger? What does the God, good father do with all the wrath when one daughter won't feed the other daughter? When one son murders another son, when all the children plot to, to take his own life, to murder him, to kill him, to crucify him, what does the good father do? He lets them. In other words, he forgives them. And when they see it, It changes them. And according to Paul, God planned to let us take his life from the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world. According to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. As he says in Romans, he consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Scripture teaches that all will look upon him whom they have pierced. He is the judgment. He is the discipline. He is the instruction. He is the word of the Father that does not return void but accomplishes the purpose for which he was sent. The purpose. The discipline of the Lord is purposeful. He doesn't discipline for discipline's sake. So he has no interest in endless torment. If we discipline our kids for discipline's sake, we're not just failing our kids. We're becoming satanic. Discipline has a purpose. And the purpose is faith. Children obey. And Paul tells us, I'm, I'm talking about the obedience of faith. This is right, it's, it's righteous. It's the righteousness of, of faith. And what is faith? Faith is not something we obtain by memorizing a list or obeying some laws. Faith is not something we get by taking knowledge of good and evil. What a crazy, who would tell us such a thing? Faith is not something we get by taking the knowledge of good and evil. Faith gets us when the good finds us and knows us. Faith, biblical faith, quite simply, is trust. And I, and I wish that we would start translating the words pistis and pisteo in the Greek as trust. Because biblical faith means trust and we have turned faith into some kind of religious work that, that we do. But faith means trust. Quite simply, faith is trust. And you see, this is the thing. You can't simply decide to trust. The one you are to trust must create that trust within you. And they create that trust by proving themselves trustworthy, by writing a good story 
in your life. By writing a gospel according to you. You know, we were each born as trusting creatures, right? I mean, that's what I loved about my kids. They just, those big trusting eyes. I loved it when they were little children, the trust. Adam and Eve were created to trust, and so they trusted God. And they trusted a snake. And that's the problem with little children. They don't know who to trust because they don't know who is good and who is evil. They don't know what is good and what is evil. But when we begin to know good, we also begin to know evil, and we lose the ability to trust until God, who is the good, reveals that he is trustworthy upon the cross. And then we know the good, and we begin to choose the good in freedom. It is finished. We are finished in the image of God with trust. What I'm trying to say is that the discipline and instruction of the Lord is not a list. You know, my list, I mean, if you look at it, it describes a person, but it's not that person. The discipline and instruction of the Lord is not a list, it's not a law. The discipline and instruction of the Lord is the Lord. And what's he doing? He's writing a story in your life that produces trust. And that story is called the gospel, the gospel of grace. So parents, to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to not make them conform to some list. But instead, or maybe on top of that, because it can include the list. I mean, the old covenant is included within the eternal covenant, the new covenant, but it's not to make them conform to some list. It's to be used by God to write a story, a story of his grace upon your child's heart. And you can't actively write that story of God's grace on your child's heart unless you see that God is writing his story of grace upon your heart. In other words, you can't parent your children until you admit you're a child. I shared this before, but years ago, Elizabeth, when she came home from those days away at the facility, she, it was crazy how she did it, but she gave me this letter that she had written one night in the facility. In it, she writes how much she just wanted me to hold her. And then she writes about something she saw, quote, I was three years old again, and you were holding me singing, singing this song, rockabye, everything's going to be all right, rockabye. And then, Jesus. Jesus is holding both of us, singing, rockabye, everything's going to be all right, rockabye. You see, it was just like he told Susan, I'm saving her. But do you understand, he was also saving me. I felt her pain. I felt responsible for the pain. And Jesus felt all the pain and was saving each one of us. Then Elizabeth writes this, I'm ready for my punishment. Today I looked in mom in your eyes and saw pain and saw that I was responsible for the pain. Your girl, Elizabeth, I'm ready for my punishment. <laughs> But you see, love was already her punishment. Nothing more is, is needed. Uh, love was already the punishment. Love is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So does it work? Yes. Love does not fail, writes Paul. Love wins. The law produces wrath and brings death. Love produces trust and gives birth to, to life or risen from the dead. And, and love does not fail. So, parents, we're failing our children if we don't trust that we are children. And we're failing our children if we don't trust that although we fail, love does not fail. And love is our father. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this. 
the greatest danger for a child where religion is concerned is not that his father should be an unbeliever, not even his being a hypocrite, no. The danger lies in their being pious and God-fearing and in the child being convinced thereof, but that the child should nevertheless notice that deep within there lies a hidden, a terrible unrest. The danger is that the child is provoked to draw a conclusion about God, that God is not infinite love. You see, it's only when we see that we are beloved children that we can truly parent our children. And it's only when we see that our parents are beloved children that we can parent our parents. That is, help write the story of grace in their life. That is, we can even bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, our parents. Paul writes then, honor your father and mother that you may live long on the earth. Maybe our fathers and mothers are eternal inheritance, the eternal, inhabita the eternal habitation in, in his new creation. Maybe. You know, if, if you can't forgive your father, you'll become just like your father. Unloving, unforgiving, ungracious. But when you see that God is your father, you can forgive your earthly father. When you see that God is your daddy, you can love your earthly daddy. And the power of God, which is the power of love, is far stronger than the power of the dark side. Now, I know this is dorky, but you love the movie, and so maybe it's true. Okay? I feel the good in you, the conflict. There is no conflict. <laughs> save you. Yeah, the eternal habitations. And now you may say to yourself, you may be saying this to yourself, Peter, that's just a silly movie. It's just a silly movie. And Peter, you had a really good dad, but you don't understand. I have a really horrid dad. You don't get it. In April, I told you about a boy whose father surrendered to the dark side, at least for a time. The boy woke up one night to hear the sound of screaming, ran downstairs to stand in the doorway to see his father drunk and waving a rifle around the kitchen, screaming, I'm going to kill all them sons of bitches, and to see his mother hanging on the stock of the rifle, crying, don't do it, don't do it, don't shoot the children. And he only stopped until the police came and took him away. And last April, I told you, that boy was my dad. 
kindest man I've ever known. And I told you this was the wild thing. He was, he was so different from my granddad because he came to trust his true dad, God, his, his father. But what I didn't tell you was that my dad never told me that story. It was my aunt that always told me the story. And whenever my dad spoke of his dad, he'd say, oh, Peter, you got to understand, my dad was a great guy. You, you know, my, my dad lived through the depression and through the, the dust bowl, and he lost three businesses in the process, and he had 12 kids. And so you, you don't understand how hard it was. And so, yeah, he started, he started he drinking. He became an alcoholic. But Peter, I love my dad. Before my dad died, he had this wonderful dream that he told me about. I remember sitting at the kitchen table and he's talking about this dream. He said, Peter, I dreamed of heaven. I dreamed of the farmhouse. And all my brothers and sisters were there and, and dad was there. Oh, I can't wait to see him. See, for my dad, his dad was the eternal habitations. I can't wait to see him. And I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see my granddad and my dad and my true father, whom my father taught me to trust. Paul writes, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. And bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's the discipline and instruction of the Lord? This is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God subjected all creation to futility, writes Paul. And God consigned all people to disobedience, writes Paul. And then at the darkest time, in the worst of all places, at the right moment, the Word of God in human flesh took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so God the Father, every Sunday, is calling you to come home. But not just to come home, to be at home in his relentless love. And sure, it cuts. Sure, it burns, but you can trust him. Why can you trust him? For he has revealed his character. He has revealed his heart by hanging it on a tree for the love of you. In Jesus' name, let's worship him. We invite you to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cup is wine, light cup is juice. They're both the love of God, which you see is also the, the judgment of God. And so by coming to this table, you're saying, Father, I want to come home. And I want you to change me. And he will. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. That's right, you can clap for him. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are our Father and that you are good. And we thank you that the Father of lies is just that. Not the Father of people, but of lies that infect people. And so, Lord God, we renounce the lie and we renounce the Father of lies. In fact, you can do that. Just say it with me. I, okay, ready? We renounce the father of lies. And we renounce the lies. And this is the root of all the lies. 
Father, I think this must be the root of all the lies, that, that you are untrustworthy. And so, God, that's why we drink too much. That's why we have affairs. That's why we're greedy, why we cord things to ourselves. It's because we believe the lie. Thank you, Lord God, for exposing the lie at the right time, in the right way, both in history but also in the history of our hearts, that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the unrighteous. Thank you, Lord God, that you hung your heart on a tree for all the world to see, for all the children to see, that you are trustworthy. And so, Lord God, we confess that we uh, do not trust that you are trustworthy. In other words, we confess that we sin, that we lack faith, but we thank you, Lord God, that we also trust that you have placed faith in our hearts and that faith is an eternal seed that cannot be destroyed, but it will grow. So, Lord God, I thank you that you are a trustworthy, you are a faithful father and that you will do it. You will accomplish what you set out to do, that you will accomplish all things according to the counsel of, of your will. That when you said, let us make Peter, let us make Susan, let us make Michael, let us make Jim, let us make Santino in our own image. You meant it, and you will do it, and we will come home. So God, I don't know, I got kind of carried away with that prayer, but I just thank you for who you are, and we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for revealing your love to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name, amen. And so as you go from here, just go knowing that there is this covenant rainbow. It's the covenant of grace that covers God's creation. And so even if fire comes hurtling down from heavens upon you, <laughs> even if the consuming fire surrounds you, even if it cuts at times, even if it burns, you remember that your God does not change. He is love and he loves you. And he will finish what he started because Jesus is the beginning and the end. In his name, amen.